morning. And Happy New Year to everybody. It's really hard to top cranberries and raspberries, but I'll do my best. <laughs> well, let me just say this as we begin this new year. Can we just admit it and say it out loud? For many, if not for most of us, 2023 was kind of a difficult year, you know, in different ways for different ones of us. We're probably glad to see 2023 in the rearview mirror and thankful that God is a God of fresh starts and new beginnings. Now I realize that the calendar year doesn't really mean that much when it comes to things like this. God's certainly not limited to our calendar to do his work of newness. He can do that anytime. He can do it in the middle of July. But 2023 was a rough year for many of us personally and when you layer on the stuff from on top of our personal things and see what's going on in our country and seeing what's going on around the world it's harder still. You know, I don't know about you, I hate watching or reading the news these days. We can start with the war in Ukraine and Israel. Watching the news is more depressing than ever. Death and destruction, suffering all around us. And this is just the tip of the iceberg around the world. We can look at many other parts of the world where people are suffering and people are treating each other with hate and with evil. This is just the tip of the iceberg. We have about half the country here with this incredible division in our neighbor, or our uh, nation, excuse me. Half the country thinks one way, half thinks another. God rescue us. <clears throat> God rescue us from an actual civil war as we enter this incredibly contentious election year. Then we see our sex-saturated culture where behavior that just 25 or 30 years ago would have embarrassed anyone, and it's now celebrated in movies and primetime television. Or to get even more personal, it's closer still to home. Some of us have been sick and just can't get better. Or you or a loved one are facing an illness that won't go away. Or you have a loved one who's just spiritually lost and not at all interested in the things of God, and they're living like it. Perhaps you're stuck in an awful job and you're just keeping your head above water day by day. Or maybe it's not a bad job, but it's just absolutely overwhelming. Or maybe you have a relationship with someone you love that's not all it should be and it's making you miserable. Maybe you have a sin problem that you can't seem to overcome despite months or even years of trying. Or like three of our own, just in the past three months, you watch a loved one pass into eternity. And though we do know that the Word of God tells us we can grieve with hope, it's still incredibly painful, and we wonder when the pain will subside. These things are sometimes due to physical pain, but it's often the emotional pain that's so much more difficult and overwhelming to us. It's enough to make you feel hopeless. It's enough to make you feel despair. Now, despair is a loss of hope. Despair is the opposite of hope. To despair means to be hopeless, to have no hope, to give up all hope or expectation, to be overcome by a sense of futility or defeat. It's from the Latin word desperare, which means literally to be hopeless. And I know that some of us wrestle daily not to give in to despair, but sometimes we need a little help, don't we? 
we're hoping to get some of that this morning. There's actually a website called despair.com and they make fun of those inspirational and motivational posters or calendars that we see sometimes with sort of an anti-inspirational or maybe demotivational list of products like this one, despair, it's always darkest just before it goes pitch black. Or this one, adversity, that which does not kill me postpones the inevitable. Or defeat, for every winner there are dozens of losers, odds are you're one of them. Quality, the race for quality has no finish line, so technically it's more like a death march. And last but not least, destiny. Some are destined to soar on wings of eagles while being torn apart by beaks and talons. You see that eagle up there holding his meal of a fish. So let's turn to the word for a much different perspective. Despair and hopelessness are defined by scripture as being without God. Think about this. We see this in Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. What a phrase. Without hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. What a thing to consider. Being without hope goes with being without God. If you're without God, you're without hope. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Many of us have struggled with hanging on to hope in recent months. So this is what the Lord would say to his people at TCF on this first Sunday of 2024. There is hope in the Lord. There is hope in the Lord. There's hope for 2024. Regardless of how hard 2023 may have been, or maybe even how hard 2024 will be. So often in the midst of these seemingly hopeless things, we do tend to lose our grip on hope, if not completely or permanently, we lose it at least partially or temporarily. This morning I'm trusting that God is going to help me and help you strengthen that grip on hope that only he can bring. We sometimes sing here the great hymn, and we sang it this morning, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. There's great biblical truth in these verses. There are dozens of passages of Scripture that include the actual word hope, and others don't, but clearly emphasize the idea. The Word of God is a book full of hope. It offers hope for all of life. It offers hope for the sick. It offers hope for relationships. It offers hope for our loved ones, whatever their physical or spiritual state. It offers hope for the most challenging problems in the human condition, including war and suffering and political division. It even offers hope for the big picture things that we looked at around the world, not just the micro things that involve our lives personally. Romans 15.4 is instructive here. It says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 
It's easy to say that our hope is in God. It's harder to live like we believe it and to draw strength from it. But the word is absolutely full to overflowing with hope from Genesis to Revelation. And you know what? The ultimate hope that the word of God holds out for us is redemption. That's the ultimate hope that we see in God's word. It's eternal life. It's the love of God in Christ which allows those of us who accept that gift of grace and mercy to spend eternity with him. Anything we hope for is founded on the hope of glory, the hope of salvation, which is based on the word of truth, the gospel of truth. Let's say this, the hope of salvation is the basis, foundation, cornerstone for any hope we have. Let me say that again, the hope of salvation is the basis foundation cornerstone for any hope we have. It's the foundation on which every other hope we have is built. The certainty of our hope based on Christ means that we can know that he is moving. We can know he is working out all things for our good and for his glory and his heart is for us. It doesn't mean that everything will always work out as we wish. All you got to do is look around. You can see that. But it does mean that everything will always work out for our best because we follow Christ and we're in Christ. For those of us who are followers of Christ, even if we can't see it, we have to receive these things by faith, don't we? So with that foundational truth as a starting point, let's look at this critical virtue of hope. We're going to look at Psalm 33. Beginning with verse 10, the Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. So when we start there with these verses, we can see God's hand at work in the big picture things of life. The things in our world, the things in our nation, the things in our city, in human history, in world events. God is in charge of nations. God's in control. It's one of the most hopeful things we can ever say and believe. God's in control. As Psalm says, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. So when we see suffering in Israel and Gaza or anywhere else in the world, we can remember that God foils the plans of nations. What that will look like, we don't know yet. But we can be sure God's plans will prevail. Even if they sometimes might appear to match, in some ways, human plans, and even when they don't. God's plans may be quite another. Remember Oreb and Zeb? I didn't either. <laughs> I had no idea who they were. But that's just the point. We read about them in Judges 7, and they were enough of a threat to God's people to be mentioned again in Psalm 83, where God was petitioned to make them like tumbleweed or chaff in the wind. And you know what? Now they're just a footnote that nobody knows. Nobody knows who Oreb and Zeb are. Why? Because God's in control. So remember Oreb and Zeb. You can go home with that. So if God can foil the plans of Oreb and Zeb, or anyone who threatens his people, even whole nations, what about the plans of the enemy of our soul with us as individuals? 
The answer to that question is also in this psalm. It's the same answer. God's plans stand firm forever. No ifs, ands, or buts. Regardless of who opposes them, whether it's us, whether it's the devil, or people like Oreb and Zeb, foolish enough to think that they are truly powerful. The purposes of God's heart stand firm through all generations. And that applies to you, to your children, and to your children's children, and to every nation and every individual. In that we can rest confidently, and that gives us hope. Now let's jump down in Psalm 33 to verse 16. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance despite all the great strength that cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So there we see hope, hope, hope. A horse. We don't think of it that way. How about this? A politician. A scientist. A job. Any person. They are vain hopes for deliverance. Here's a psalm that we just read that's full of hope. There are a lot of definitions of hope that we could use this morning. One is hope is faith directed toward the future. What hope is not is what we commonly think of in the everyday use of the word. Now we've heard this before here at TCF, but it's always worth repeating. Now, what we commonly think of in the everyday use of the word is reflected by a dictionary definition, uh, Webster's Dictionary. Hope is defined there as a feeling that what is wanted will happen. That's the way we typically use the word hope. It has more to do with feelings and wishes. I hope it doesn't snow tomorrow. I hope ORU goes to the NCAA basketball tournament again this year. I hope Bill's sermon is not too long this morning. I hope we get pizza for lunch. But in scripture, hope is different than that wishful thinking. One uh, Bible dictionary says, hope means to trust in, wait for, look for or desire something or someone or to expect something beneficial in the future Looking with expectation is akin to hoping. Another Bible dictionary defines hope as the desire of some good with the expectation of obtaining it. So there's always waiting and there's always confident expectation involved in hope. Holman Bible Dictionary has a good long definition that I want to read and spend a few minutes on. It says hope is trustful expectation particularly with reference to the fulfillment of God's promises. Biblical hope is the anticipation of a favorable outcome under God's guidance. More specifically, hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. This contrasts to the world's definition of hope as a feeling that what is wanted will happen. Understood in the world's way, hope can denote either a baseless optimism 
or a vague yearning after an unattainable good. If hope is to be genuine, however, hope must be founded on something or someone which affords reasonable grounds for confidence in its fulfillment. The Bible bases its hope on God and his saving act. Let's highlight a few key things from this last definition. First, hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. This brings us back to that foundation that we noted a moment ago. What God has done for us in the history of redemption provides us the guarantee that we're part of his plans for the future. Why? Because we're in Christ. Because we're in Christ. So if we apply that to our litany of problems, we have a long list, all of us, don't we? Relationships, illness, maybe even death, the spiritual state of our loved ones, challenging jobs, any kind of suffering, physical or emotional. Whatever the cause, we can be absolutely confident that God has proven his love, his sovereignty, his care for us in the past as it's spelled out in his word. Because he has given us this gift of eternal life through Jesus. Because of that, we can be confident, we can have a biblical hope that he will do what's best for us and for those we love in whatever situation we face. Even when it looks hopeless, even when it might look like a bad outcome. Think of Joseph. In Genesis 20, Joseph says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know the story of Joseph and all he went through. And he maintained hope. And in the end, his hope was proven. We see the contrast between the biblical hope, which is sure and certain, and the common understanding of hope that's wishful thinking, often with no foundation for the wish to stand on. Joel, would you grab that cup of water for me underneath? <clears throat> Forgot to bring it up here. That's why we can affirm this part of the definition of hope. If hope is to be genuine hope, it must be founded on something or someone which affords reasonable grounds for confidence in its fulfillment. The Bible bases its hope in God and his saving acts. So even atheists, in their most candid moments, recognize this. A little over a month before he died, the famous atheist Jean-Paul Sartre declared that he so strongly resisted feelings of despair that he would say to himself, I know I shall die in hope. But then in profound sadness, he would add, but hope needs a foundation. Hope needs a foundation. Hope needs a reasonable grounds for confidence in its fulfillment. <clears throat> There's the story about a self-made millionaire. As far as I know, this is a true story. He greatly changed the lives of a sixth grade class in East Harlem. Now this man had been asked to speak to a class of 59 sixth graders. Now what could he say to inspire these students, most of whom would probably drop out of school? He wondered how he could get these predominantly black and Puerto Rican children to even look at him. Well he tossed aside his notes and he decided to speak to them from his heart. He said, stay in school and I'll help pay college tuition for every one of you. At that moment the lives of these students changed for the first time 
they had hope. One student said, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. It was a golden feeling. And the story ends with 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school. Before that, it's likely that many of these sixth graders' hope for college was only wishful thinking. But this billionaire gave them hope, a golden feeling, but more than just a feeling. He gave them something to look forward to, and more importantly, he gave them a foundation for their hope. He said, I will do this, and he was true to his word. When God says, I will do this, he is true to his word. The student said, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me. That helps us identify another aspect of hope that's important. There's no need for hope when you already have something. The very idea of hope always implies expectation, looking forward, and waiting. Sometimes that's why hope can be admitted is hard to hang on to. We're either unwilling to wait, or we're unwilling to wait long enough, or we feel as if we waited so long that somehow God must have let us down. We feel that way sometimes, don't we? Be honest with yourself. We often see in Scripture the phrase, How long, O Lord? We see that a lot, don't we? Waiting for something we hope for is part of the human condition. Sometimes waiting a long time is also part of the human condition. That makes it difficult, doesn't it? Sometimes any waiting can cause us to question God. Now, I think this is a pretty normal response. We ask why. We ask how long. We begin to wonder if God is really going to do anything. The people of Israel in the Old Testament wondered that a lot. They wondered when the Messiah would come for hundreds of years. The Messiah was called the hope of Israel. It implied waiting. It implied expectation. The people of Israel also wondered about more down-to-earth things, such as when would God deliver us from our enemies? How often have we wondered if God really sees what's going on? If he does, how can he make us wait so long for his deliverance from whatever it is that afflicts us? Now, Isaiah addressed this in chapter 40, beginning with verse 21. Now, this is kind of a longer passage. So I want you to stick with me here, but it helps us understand some of the things we're looking at this morning. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He, God, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heaven like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one, and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? We see this again. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. 
and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, a couple things I want to notice here. First, here's again this reminder that we follow a great big God who's absolutely in charge of everything. He's in control. God's in control. He's large and in charge. God says, do you not know? Have you not heard? And then he says, we're like grasshoppers. That should be encouraging to us rather than offensive. He's the one who brings princes and rulers of this world to nothing. They come and they go. But God remains. The same God who names the stars, each of the billions of stars, is the one in whom we hope. But this same mighty God also promises us strength that he will provide. Even though he can call each of the billions of stars by name, how many of us here this morning can name everyone even in this room? let alone billions of stars. Even though rulers can be blown away like I might blow away a feather. Despite that awesome power, and here's the second thing I want to notice from this passage, God is intimately involved in our lives. My way, my life, my problems, my concerns are not hidden from God. And not only does he see them, he's working on them and in them, and through them. Now, I may not be able to see or understand how he's working. Isaiah, after all, wrote, his understanding no one can fathom. In other words, the way God does things, we can't always understand. But he is working. And in the meantime, he says to me, wait. Wait. And in the waiting, wait expectantly. Trust in me hope in me. And in the waiting, he will give me strength for the wait. I don't know about you. I won't ask for a show of hands. I guess everybody would. I get tired of waiting. I get tired of waiting in traffic. I get tired of waiting in line at the store. I get really tired of waiting for those things that I really care about. My deepest prayer requests. But you know what? He never gets tired. And I can draw from that strength. Those who hope in the Lord will gain new strength. Here's where we see the clear connection between hoping and waiting. Because many of you, no doubt, are saying, well, I always remember that verse saying, those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. Well, one translation says hope, another says wait. But you know what? In this way, both are correct. Because hoping inevitably includes waiting. We have to recognize how hard the waiting is. Isn't it? Sometimes it's absolutely bitter. It's a bitter experience. We read in Lamentations, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. I want to say that God is big enough to handle our very real emotions. But sometimes we stop <clears throat> with the very strong feelings we just read in verse 20, I remember the afflictions and my soul is downcast. Sounds like despair, doesn't it? He's saying, hey, I'm hurting, I'm down, 
But Jeremiah, the writer of Lamentations, doesn't quit there, and neither should we. When we stop and stay there, we're headed toward despair if we're not already there. We're losing hope or we're already hopeless. But we have to go on. We can't just start with these first two verses from this section. We have to move on to verse 21 of Lamentations 3, which says, Yet this I call to mind. So he's reminding himself, isn't he? I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. One of my favorite phrases in scripture. Great is your faithfulness. And then he, again, he's talking to himself here, you see. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Great thoughts in here. We could do a whole sermon just on this. Because of his love, we are not consumed. We deserve to be consumed, my brothers and sisters. Because of his love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. His compassions, his mercy, new every morning. We don't have to rely on yesterday's mercy and compassion from God. We don't have to store it up in the fridge because it might spoil. We can draw on his fresh compassion, his fresh mercy. Today, he is faithful to provide what we need when we need it. Now, Jeremiah did this. He called this to mind. He reminded himself of it. We can, too. And we can remind each other. That's kind of what we're doing here this morning from the Word of God. We see that David encouraged himself in the Lord. We can, too. We see this in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David strengthened himself. So how can we do that? How can we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Well, we already saw that the word of God is meant to be a tool to give us hope. Let me read that passage again. This is Romans 15, 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance, there we see the idea of waiting, right? You don't endure without waiting. And the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. <clears throat> but sometimes, let's be honest, that's just not enough, is it? Just as reading the word doesn't feel like it's enough. Just as reading the word alone is not enough to make us wise. You know, there are scholars who know the Bible better than anyone else in this room, but they are lost. They are without hope and without God. Why is that? Reading the word alone is not enough to make us righteous. It takes the activity of the Holy Spirit to illuminate Scripture to make us wise, even though God will most often use Scriptures as his agent in making us wise. It takes the Holy Spirit's work in us to make us righteous, even though, again, the word of God is most often the tool that God uses to convict, admonish, and correct, and train us for righteousness. So my prayer as we prepare to close this morning is that we recognize that just as faith, love, any other thing is a gift from God, so is hope. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope. How? It says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the same book that said that his word is full of hope. We see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. It's a gift of his grace, isn't it? Hope is a gift of his grace. And if it's a gift of his grace, and if it's an action of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, there's not a thing we can do to work it up. I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope. I'm going to hope. What we have to do is ask. We have to ask him. I think there are many of us here this morning who are barely clinging to hope. I know so many of your situations. I know my own situations. Some are on the verge of losing hope. Some of you may have lost hope about certain things. Some may be on that roller coaster of having hope one day and the next day the circumstances of life just beat that hope, batter it, and it's lost or it's nearly lost again. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. God's compassion never fails. His mercies are new every morning. The psalmist in Psalm 27 knows that without hope, and not just hope, but specifically hope in the Lord, there's nothing but despair. The psalmist in Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14 says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Can't we all say that sometimes? I would have despaired unless I believed. And though the foundation of our hope for anything in this life is firmly built on our hope of salvation through Jesus Christ, hope in him applies to this life as well. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. It says where? In the land of the living. That could mean eternal life, but what if it means this life? Back to our first passage of Scripture Psalm 33, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. And then we see in verse 22, my prayer for me, my prayer for you. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 and 17 reminds us, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, sometimes, let's be honest, it doesn't feel light and momentary. But that's how Paul describes it. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, I wish I could, but I cannot guarantee you that 2024 will be easier for any of us than 2023 was. It might be a great year. It might be a terrible year. It might be some of both. That's probably what it will be. But no matter what might be taken from us in 2024, we know that we have possessions beyond measure belonging to us in Christ. No matter what we might gain in 2024, we know that the greatest gain we can have on earth is nothing compared to what already awaits us in heaven. We're studying this uh, chapter 
in house church. And this is why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, But he, God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. I'm not there, brothers and sisters. I don't delight in weaknesses, as he says, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. But then he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Strong in the Lord. Paul could write this. The only reason he could write this, because he had seen heaven. He had seen heaven. We can believe this because it tells us in his word. We need to remember always that our story is part of a larger story. Knowing the biblical story will not solve every problem or answer every question you may have. It will not always make decisions obvious or life comfortable and easy. It will not relieve you of all pain, temptation, struggle, doubt, and discouragement. It will not spare you from suffering or deliver you from the misery of living in a fallen world. But it will provide perspective, a foundation for faith, and a vision of hope. It will help you to believe that the story of your life does not consist of a series of random, disconnected events that have no meaning or purpose. A bigger story of redemption is unfolding, and it will help you make sense of your own. So, whatever changes await us in the year ahead, there's one solid foundation we can stand on that never moves. And Alexei mentioned this, I the Lord do not change, as we see God declare in Malachi. He won't go back on his promises, he won't revoke his offer of salvation, he won't update his terms of service without telling you, he won't adjust his commands to suit the sensibilities of the masses and then adjust them again when the masses change their minds. Because our God is unchanging, we can have confidence in his character in his justice, in his love, and in his promises. Because our God is unchanging, we can have confidence that his word is a reliable compass to direct our progress. The real question for this new year is, will we follow it? Will we follow it? If you're on the verge this morning of losing hope, if you've lost hope about anything important to you, or maybe like most of us, you're kind of on that hope roller coaster. Some days you're really hanging on to hope and you're doing well, and other days you're just not. You're at the bottom of the roller coaster looking up. Maybe having hope for a time and then heading toward the hopelessness end of the track. I want us to pray together this morning and remember that we have to ask God for this, for his wonderful gift of hope for 2024 and beyond. So if that describes you, you can stand, you can raise your hand, or you can just pray quietly. But I want to hope in the Lord this year, and I want to hang on to hope. So let's pray together about this as we finish. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. Your word that declares from beginning to end hope for us. We are grateful, Father God, that your compassions 
never fail us, that your mercy is new every morning. We're grateful that we don't have to store up hope today because we know tomorrow's going to be a hard day, but you'll give us that hope for tomorrow. We thank you for this, Father. And Father, we know that this is not something we can just grit our teeth and make happen, but we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. We are a weak people, Father, but you are strong. And in you, we can be strong. So that's what we pray for, Father, as we enter this new year. In all the things that we will face, and all the good things that we would thank you, and all the hard things that we would hope in you and trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.